You know, I just feel, I don't know how to express this, but I've been ministering about how God can love us when we aren't worth loving. And we've been explaining this, and I've talked about how that Jesus paid everything, that Jesus paid more than the debt that our sins had caused, more than the offense. The atonement was greater than that. And we've spent quite a bit of time talking about that. This morning I was explaining how that God doesn't look on the outside part of us. He looks on the inside, and in the inside we're a brand new creature. And we have been completely changed. And so we have to approach Him in the Spirit. And yet most of us are just physical-oriented. We know ourselves based on our external part and our emotions, and most of us don't know who we are in the Spirit. And to me, all of these things here are about God's great love and how He opened up this way for us to have a relationship with Him. And I don't know how to express, express this, but I just feel in my heart tonight a real grief, and I believe it's from the Lord, that God has done all of these things for us and we aren't receiving it. And, um, you know, I've talked to this morning and this evening, I've talked to dozens and ministered to dozens of people who've heard everything I've said and it's just like right over their head. And it's not about me. I really feel like that this is just the Lord, that He loves us. He's done all of these things. He's provided for us. And we ju- it's just like it's not impacting us. And I tell you, that's a, it's a sad state. It's a st- sad state that the body of Christ is in. The things that I've ministered, if you've been at these meetings, if this doesn't get you excited, if it doesn't set you on fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> And yet there are people that have sat right here and it's just like, I don't know what it is. I'm just trying to encourage you in the name of the Lord. God's not mad. He loves us. But He loves us so much, it's disappointing to God that He could bestow all of this love, send His Son to die for us, do all of these things. And people sit there and say, oh yeah, I know all of that, but you don't understand, I've got this problem. And we're just so fixated on our problems and on all of these little things that they're overwhelming us. You know, the proper response to this would be that if you were to really think about how much God loves you, really, what else matters? You know, there are people that aren't even baptized in the Holy Spirit, that don't believe in healing, that don't believe in prosperity, that aren't expecting anything... You know, from their theology, they're just saved and stuck. They're just waiting on the rapture, waiting on Jesus to come back, and they're singing, when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And many of them are happier than spirit-filled believers because at least they, they thank God that they're saved, and that's sufficient. And they sit there and they struggle through cancer, and they struggle through divorce, and they struggle through the things that happen in life, and they have more joy and peace than a lot of believers. Something's wrong with this picture. And I'm just imploring you in the name of the Lord. I really feel that God is just saying, what does it take to satisfy you? And you know, the the thing about this is that if you would just go to enjoying the love of God, and if you would establish relationship with God, and divorce that from all of these other things that come against us, the hardships, the problems, the people who come against you, and all these kind of things, and if you'd just get into the relationship with God then your faith would go through the roof. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. 
And if you would just really understand how much God loves you and get into that relationship, your love would go through the roof so that consequently, by uh, accident, a byproduct, not the goal, but just a byproduct, you would get more healed, more blessed, more prosperous than you've ever been before. Things would work. The whole Christian life operates out of relationship, and yet most people are so fixated on their problem that they are just focused on this, and they've got to get this meant, and they are upset and angry and bitter with God if everything in their life isn't working, and they're forgetting the fact that God has paid this tremendous price and has redeemed us and brought us unto himself. And I'm telling you, it's just wrong. I don't know if I'm expressing that properly, but I feel like the Lord is just saying, you know, if he was here in his physical person, he'd say, what does it take? What do I have to do to convince you that I love you? What does it take to satisfy you? And brothers and sisters, we need to be satisfied. In the 14th chapter of the book of John, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. He just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, oh, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. You know what he was saying? He says, Jesus, I'm not satisfied with you. But I'd be satisfied if we could see a vision in heaven. And we have so many religious traditions and doctrines. There's a lot of people today that, man, if... You know, I was just recently at a meeting over in Europe and we had tremendous things happen. Saw people healed and people were getting set free and getting hold of the truth and it was good. But then they said they were going to have a stem winder on the final night and they were going to have people running the aisles and doing this. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that if it happens spontaneously. But there's a lot of people that all of these people's lives were getting changed. People were getting turned on to the Lord. But unless somebody jumps a pew, unless somebody falls on the floor and flops, unless somebody screams or yells or has an outburst in tongues, then that's what a lot of people are seeking after is all of these other things rather than just knowing God. I'm trying to say that God wants to know you and that's what it's all about. It's more important in healing. It's more important in your prosperity. It's more important in anything else. And if you would get fixated on knowing God and take these truths and understand how much God knows you and if you would enter into that place to where you are feeling and experiencing the love of God. Brothers and sisters, there's not any disease that could overcome you. There's no hardship, none of life's things that it could deal you. Nothing would be able to separate you from the love of God. And yet it's just like that's not the focus of a lot of people. So anyway, we need to refocus. We need to put our attention on Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus. And if you know Jesus, nothing else really matters. That's really about all that there is that's important. Knowing God. And you could just, you could take this truth that I'm expressing right here and apply it across the board and it would have, it'd work in your health, it'd work in your finances, it'd work in your relationships, it'd work in everything. You know, there's some people that are just so, they're, it's like they walk around with a chip on their shoulder and if somebody says the slightest thing wrong, if somebody doesn't honor them, if somebody doesn't recognize them, they get hurt and offended. And all of that is just because you aren't full of the love of God. When you get to a, to a place where you know that God loves you, what does it matter what another person says? It really doesn't matter. Who cares? I had a man come to me one time and he was criticizing Jamie over the way she dressed. 
And there was nothing wrong with the way she dressed. He was an ultra-Pentecostal that believed she shouldn't wear gold and makeup and jewelry and stuff like this. And he went to just criticizing her and reading the riot act. And I just stopped him right in the middle. And I said, who died and made you God? And he said, what are you saying? And I said, you know what? I just really don't care about what you think. And he was just shocked. Like, you don't care about what I think. You should, you should be... Uh, considering all of this, and I said, you know what? I, God loves me. God loves Jamie. We're doing the best we can, and I just don't give a rip what you think. And he was just shocked by it. But you know what? You can get to a place where if God Almighty loves you, if Almighty God loves you so much that He died for you, why does it bother you if somebody else doesn't like you? It's only because you aren't focused on the love of God that those things bother you. And some of you are thinking, well, yes, that's true in minor ways. But if it's your husband that doesn't love you, if it's your wife that doesn't love you, well, then you just feel totally justified in being an emotional wreck and you're praying and asking God to fix this. You know what? I love my wife. Praise God, we got a good marriage. But you know what? She didn't die for me. She's not the one who saved me. And if Jamie didn't love me and if we had problems, I'd still revel in the fact that God loves me and I'd still make it. And some of you think, oh, that's all wrong. No, that's all right. John Wesley, who changed the world. John Wesley affected continents. He married a woman. In his day, you had to be married to minister. And he just went out and picked the first person and he married the wrong person and she was a witch. And she literally hated him. And we've been to his home in England where he would kneel and pray and, and uh, it's you know recorded when they give you the tour. They show you that she used to come in and spit on him and kick him and hit him and mock God and do this. And they didn't have a good relationship. I think they were separated for 13 years of their marriage, living in opposite ends of the house. But you know what? He just went on and changed the world because he knew God and loved God. (laughs) Moses didn't have the best marriage. His wife left him, circumcised her son, and threw the foreskin at his feet and said, you're a bloody husband, and went back to daddy and left him. And he just went down and delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and did all of these miracles and saw the plagues and saw the Red Sea divided while he was separated from his wife. Am I saying that you should do that? No. But I'm saying that there's something bigger than just your marriage or just how your finances are going or how your health is going. If you know God, that's, that trumps everything else. Knowing God is what it's all about. And most of us are more into trying to get some need meant and we don't care about our relationship with God. We aren't focused on the fact that He loved us. You know, if you were just to start being thankful and thanking Him and reminding yourself of how good it is, don't think about what you'd like it to be. Just think about how bad it could be. Think about what would happen if God hadn't have saved you, if the Lord hadn't have come, if these things hadn't have happened. You ought to just be praising God for how good it is. And if you would do that, you'd find out that depression and things like that would be gone. I've ministered often in churches and I've given invitations and, 
ask people if you're fighting depression to stand. And out of a group this size, normally I would have 80 to 90% of spirit-filled Christians stand because they've been fighting discouragement and depression. You know what that is? That's just an insult to Jesus. He's done all of these things for you, and yet you're still depressed and discouraged because you haven't gotten your third car yet. You haven't had your dream fulfilled. Man, we need to pull our thumbs out of our mouth and grow up and just recognize that, you know what, I can do all things through Christ. It's about knowing the Lord. And God just wants us to know Him. It's all based on relationship. And we just need to get mature. We need to press into relationship with God. The early New Testament church didn't have bumper stickers. They didn't have radio and television. They didn't have the printed page. They didn't have any of the things that we use to communicate the gospel today, which if Jesus was here, I believe he'd use all of them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong, but they didn't have the advantages that we've got. And in 30 years, they changed the known world. They turned the world right side up. And they didn't have people going door to door, knocking on doors. They didn't have tracks that they printed up. They just left tracks. People watched the way that they walked. You know, I remember going to Rome when I was 18 years old. And I remember hearing the stories about the Circus Maximus and the Colosseum when people were burned at the stakes. They literally sharpened stakes and rammed them up through people and impaled them. And then they burned them. Alive. And the Christians fought each other to get the honor of going out there and dying for the Lord. They literally would push and shove each other. I've got a book. uh, I forgot the name of it right now, but I've been reading this and I'm up to about 300 A.D. And there was this um, lady, I forget her name now, but around 300 A.D. uh, she was uh, nine months pregnant. And she was captured with some other Christians and they were going to kill her. But there was a Roman law that you couldn't kill a pregnant woman. And so they were going to hold her until she had her child and then kill her later. And she wouldn't have been able to die with all of the other Christians. And so her and the other Christians got together and prayed that she'd be able to deliver that baby. And she delivered it like two months or two weeks premature and went into labor immediately and had that child. And she called a friend and let... The friend take the child and she went out with the honor of dying with her friends and they put her in a net and let bulls kill them and and, um, I could go on and on. But it was terrible. It was grotesque. And these Christians would do anything for the honor of going out and dying for the Lord. They had such a relationship with the Lord. There's actually an account of Nero sticking his fingers in his ears and saying, my God, why must these Christians sing as they die? There are accounts of up to seven Romans jumping out of the stands and running out into the Colosseum knowing that they were going to instantly be burned at the stake or killed by the animals and stuff because they saw so much joy and so much love in the people's lives as they worshipped their Creator, as they were being killed, that they wanted that and they were willing to lay their life down to get it. You know, there's not a lot of people that would lay their life down to get what most of us have. I mean, our Christianity today is about a mile wide and an inch deep. 
And it's because we haven't developed our relationship. We haven't taken these things to heart. We haven't loved and appreciated God. We're more into, well, God, I, how come I'm still struggling to get my house payments met? Well, it's probably because you don't have a good relationship with the Lord. And because you're probably out there indulging all of your flesh and buying things that you don't need and living the quote-unquote American dream hocked up to your ears and paying 20% interest on your credit card. You don't need more money. What you need is to be good stewards. Just spend, just live a lifestyle that's less than what you make. Don't ever use a credit card and you can solve your problem. But see, our focus is on all of these things instead of just knowing the Lord. And we get entangled with the affairs of this life. And the scripture says, Colossians 3, 5, that covetousness is idolatry. And we're worshiping money and what money can produce and all of these things instead of worshiping God. And that's the reason that we don't have more faith. Faith works by love. I'm telling you, it's, it's really simple. If you just love the Lord with all of your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you'll succeed. You'll see things work. It'll be awesome. Amen? I'm way off track where I was going, but that's good. And we need to just put God first. And this is what I've been talking about is that God's done everything. He's provided everything. You've already got everything that you need. Everything that you need is already on the inside of you. You don't need to manipulate or beg God or get God to do something. If we would start enjoying what we have, I tell you what, you, it would just be awesome. It would be awesome. But we, I don't know, somehow we've got to where we magnify the negative. We focus on the things that we don't have. If you had 99 out of 100 things, most of us would be focused on that one thing that's still elusive. This is how Satan came at Adam and Eve. He said, has God said you can't eat of every tree of the garden? He focused on the one thing in all of creation that he told them not to do. He focused on the one thing. They had everything. They could have done anything. They had all of these trees. You know, if Satan would have come to them like this and he says... Are there only 9,999 trees that God let you eat of? And there's this one that He won't let you eat of. If He would have presented it that way, that would have diffused the whole temptation. Because it would have been speaking about, look how good God is. One tree out of 10,000 that you can't eat of. But instead, He didn't mention the good that God had done. He didn't talk about the thousands and the thousands of trees that they had access to. He says, is there this one thing that God hasn't let you do? And brothers and sisters, the, the world is this way. And sad to say, the body of Christ is more influenced by the world than it is by the Word. And we have been focused on what we don't have. And some of you, and I'm saying this in love. I'm saying that I believe God motivated me to say this tonight, that we are focused on the things that we don't have instead of what we do have. We aren't counting our blessings. We're counting all of the things that we need. And I tell you, you're just never going to have everything perfect. We live in a fallen world. If you don't have a problem right now, just hold on. You will. I can guarantee you, life is terminal. We're all in the process of dying. Maybe you haven't been given a diagnosis that you're dying of cancer, but you're dying. All of us are headed towards a grave. 
I just buried my mother this week. And you know what? We made a comment that every one of us are headed that direction sooner or later. I had my boots getting shined at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. And, and the guy says, what have you been doing this week? And I said, I buried my mother. And he oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, well, it's, you know, okay. She was 96. She'd been praying to go. <laughs> every time I saw her, she says, I'm so sorry that it's taken me so long to die. <laughs> She'd say, are you praying that I'll die? And I said, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'll die. <laughs> and so we're rejoicing that she's gone. I mean, <laughs> praise God. She's been trying to leave a long time. But he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, well, you know what? We can't avoid, all of us are going there, but I said, the only thing you can do is prepare for where you're going to go. And man, it opened up the door a mile wide. And I got to talk to this guy about the Lord and just got to telling him about the goodness of God. But every one of us is headed that direction. I know that some of you aren't blessed by that. But if you have a relationship with God, if you have a relationship with God, really you should reach a place like the Apostle Paul for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You ought to be excited about it. I'm saying these things kind of in a rebuke, but I'm doing it out of love that God wants us to know Him. That's what it's all about. He wants you to know Him. And the good news is God wants to know you more than he, you want to know Him. God is the one that's pursuing us. God is the one that's done all of these things for us. And I just really feel in my heart like God is just pleading with some of you that He wants to have a relationship with you and you want all of these things and you've got your things that you're going after and... You're using God to accomplish all of these things. I was sent an email last night and somebody sent me this thing and I got on the internet and it was a, a thing where this guy was sitting there dressed like you imagine Jesus to be and he was sitting at a table in a restaurant and a guy walked in and he says, oh Jesus, I'm sorry I'm late. And Jesus started to stand up and he said, no, sit down, it's fine. And so he sat down and he says, I've got a list. And he pulled out his yellow pad and he started going through and do this and this and this. And I want you to do this and bless my dog and bless Aunt Susie. And he was just going through and Jesus would try and get a word in edgewise. And the guy just kept going through it. And finally, Jesus had his head on his, on his hand like this, watching him. And the guy had his feet up and he says, our father, which art in heaven. And he was just repeating. The, and it was just... All of the religious things that people are so into. And this guy was saying all of these things. And Jesus kept trying to talk and talk. And finally, the guy just wound down to where he had nothing to say. And so Jesus started to talk to him. And he says, well, time's up. Had a good time. See you tomorrow. And he got up and left. And it just showed Jesus sitting there just looking. And that's really, that's fairly descriptive of the average Christian's life, that, man, we are praying not because we want to have a relationship with God, but because we've got to do it to soothe our conscience and make us feel like we've done something to earn the favor of God. It's not about relationship with God. God wants to have a relationship with you. It shouldn't be a monologue. It shouldn't be that we just sit there and talk and talk and talk. We ought to every once in a while, like the old uh, two-way radios, we ought to say, over and give him an opportunity to talk. We ought to be still and know that he is God and listen and let God speak. We ought to get into his presence and have nothing else going on and just pay attention to what God wants to do. 
I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God is a good God. God loves us. And if we would just get into His presence and get to know Him, God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. And somehow or another, we've missed this. I actually had a woman come to me not long ago, and she says, I prayed for my husband for 22 years to be saved, and I haven't gotten my prayers answered, but I know God answers your prayers. Would you please pray for my husband? And I said, no, I won't. And this woman was shocked. And she looked at me and she says, why won't you? And I said, you're implying that God could just save your husband like that if he wanted to. And your prayers aren't powerful enough, but maybe I could get him to do something, manipulate him and motivate him to do it when you couldn't. And I said, you are starting from a premise that you think God is a bad God. You think that God could save your husband if he wanted to and he just hasn't done it. And so somebody needs to get on his case and get him motivated and doing things. I said, that's all wrong. I said, God's done everything to save your husband that he could possibly do. He died for him. He's done all of this. And I said, God's not going to force salvation. He's got a free will. I said, what we could do is pray that his heart will be softened and we could pray labors across his path. But I'm not going to beg with God as if it was up to God. And God's the one that's failed to get your husband saved. I said, God's not the one that's failed. But see, this is how most of us are approaching God. We think that God could heal us if I just get hold of Him and and He won't answer your prayers, so you want me to come. You want to come to me and you want me to pray for you. Maybe God will hear my prayers because He loves me more than He loves you. Man, that is an insult to Jesus. God wants you healed more than you want to be healed. If you aren't healed, there's good reasons why you aren't healed. If you aren't prospering financially, there's good reasons. And usually it's because we are doing our own thing and indulging our lust. And we've bought things when the Bible says, Oh, no man, anything except to love one another. And we've just ignored that. And we've listened to the world. And so you're in debt up to your ears, paying 25% interest on a credit card or whatever. And you know what? You are going to suffer if you do that. We aren't following the instructions of the Lord. And we get into all of this trouble and then we go to God and pray. And if He doesn't come through like a genie, then we're all upset. Why aren't you meeting my needs? Amen or oh me? You know, and if you just get into relationship with God, for one thing, you'd find that you wouldn't lust for near as much stuff. You'd find that you'd be so happy and content. Who cares? about what kind of house you live in. You know, we live in a great house. I love the place that we live. I am not complaining, but we built it for $60,000. It was a deal. It was probably worth $120,000 when we we built it, but we built it for $60,000. I live in a $60,000 house. We've added to it and and improved it. But you know what? I don't don't live in as nice a house as most of you. And if I had a million dollars, I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a better house. How many bedrooms does it take for you to sleep in? How many bathrooms do you have to have to be clean? And yet there are some of you that if you won the lottery right now, I guarantee you, you would get bigger and better. Although what you've got is wonderful. You love it. You like it. But you just aren't content. We just never are satisfied. We're always lusting for something more. You just, like a vacuum cleaner, sucking everything you can get. You just never get switched off. It's just, everything's about getting more. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. I'm telling you, there's more to life than that. 
It's about knowing Him. Well, I've totally missed where I was headed. Let's turn over to this verse. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Paul was talking about all of his accomplishments. And he said in verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he has whereof he might uh, trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ. He's saying... You know, I won't use the common way of talking about this, but <laughs> Pastor Dean would say it. <laughs> but he's saying all of these things, it's just like manure. It's done. Most of us don't have that value. Most of us value all of the things of this life so much that that's the reason we're so sensitive when we don't have this and when we run into a little recession and things happen and we just fall apart like a $2 suitcase, it's because our values are so misplaced and we put so much emphasis on that stuff. Paul said, I count it all but done. You know what we do with our done? We frame it and put it on the wall so that everybody can see how many degrees I've got. That's what he's talking about. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he says, I count all that but done. We frame ours and put it on the wall and brag about it. You can have 32 degrees and still be frozen. I had a guy one time that ran a Bible school and he said, why don't you go through our program? And he says, with your life experience, I'll give you so much credit. And he says, in a year's time, you could be Dr. Womack. And I just kept saying, no, thank you. And I avoided him. And over three days, he just hounded me and hounded me and hounded me. And finally, he backed me into a corner and he says, why don't you want to be a doctor? And, I, and since he got in my face, I said, well, because I don't want to be like you. I said, you are straight as a gun barrel and your theology and twice as empty. I said, you don't have any joy. You don't have any peace. You don't have any power. I said, God forbid that I ever be like you. Amen. That ended it. He never bothered me after that. You know what? God can use doctor's degrees. If you've got a doctor's degree and if you're well-educated, fine. Use it for the glory of God. For the people who have to have something, you know, use it. I'm not against that stuff, but I'm just saying that Paul, who had all of this teaching, he was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He says it's like done. Nothing. In comparison, nothing compared to knowing Christ. It's nearly inverted today. It's nearly the opposite to where today it's about, look what I've done and look at this accomplishment and we want recognition for this and is anybody paying attention to me? Am I getting credit for this? The reason you're so 
seeking after all that stuff is because you don't have the love of God working in you. When you love God, nothing else matters. You can reach a place like Paul, the Apostle Paul that everything else is like dung. It just There is no excitement. There is no joy. There is nothing that compares with being in the presence of God just Amen. one hour and feeling the pleasure of God. Man, that's worth everything. It's worth everything. You know, I've seen the dead raised. I've seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open. We've seen great miracles. We've had wonderful things happen this way. And I enjoy these meetings. They are a blessing. I am so thrilled to be doing what I'm doing. It's amazing that God pays me for doing this. I just feel so privileged. I feel so blessed. But you know what? The most the most exciting thing in my life is not these meetings and the miracles and, and the things that we do. It's I would rather sit and be in the presence of God, fellowshipping with God and just feeling His pleasure than anything else I can think of. When I just want to enjoy the day, uh, Charlie and Jill have a song, My favorite thing to do is to spend my time with you. And linger in your presence all day long. My favorite thing to uh, place to be is to... Well, I messed it up. But anyway, that's basically... I would sing it for you, but that wouldn't bless you. But anyway, it's, that's the truth. It's, that is the most... That is the greatest thing. Man, I've seen awesome things. I tell you, it's a, it's a rush to see your son raised from the dead after being dead for five hours and come back with no brain damage. That was exciting. But you know what? I'd rather sit in the presence of God. And I can't help but believe that's one reason that I've seen that happen is because I had the relationship with God. It's the relationship with God that makes everything work. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. In verse 9 he says, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. That's something that you could brag about based on, well, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at all of these things I've accumulated. I don't want to be found in Him having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Well, that's something that not very many people are praying for. Paul was praying that he could, in, could know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, I don't know how to express that, but when you do what God tells you to do and you suffer for it, there is a supernatural anointing that comes on you where God just loves you and says, I love you and you've done what I've told you to do. And that is so awesome that it actually makes the suffering good. It nearly could get you to the place to where, God, I'd like to go out and suffer some more so I could experience your comfort. God comforts us in all of our tribulation. That's what he's referring to. Paul knew about it because he had, he had been persecuted. And, you know, I can tell you by my own personal testimony that when I first really fell in love with the Lord, I got born again when I was eight, but when I was 18, I fell in love with the Lord and God immediately started leading me to make decisions that just changed my life. And I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And when I was in Vietnam, it was like I was in a bubble. I was just so excited about God's love for me. I loved God so much that I just wasn't even aware of what was going on around me. I was on the other side of the world, people trying to kill me. 
On my 21st birthday, I got 21 direct hits on my bunker. And I was just loving God and having a wonderful time studying the Word. And you know, 20 years after I got out of Vietnam, I was in Chicago and a guy gave me a book that had his testimony in it. There was 12 testimonies in this about people who went through Vietnam and experienced tragic things and they got this, what they call post-traumatic stress disorder and they had all of these things and their life was a mess and then they turned to the Lord and it turned into a great testimony. So he signed the book and gave it to me and I knew he was going to ask me did I read his testimony? So I read his testimony. I've never read anything about Vietnam. But I read it because I knew he was going to ask me. And I read it. And it was powerful. And he was in the same division that I was in around the same time. So I read another one. And it was powerful. And I wound up staying up all night long reading that book. And one of the things that happened was that three of the people were in the same division that I was in. Two of them were there at the same time I was there. And one of them... I think I was there when he was writing about it. It's hard to know exactly, you know, like 30, 40 years after the fact, but I think I was on this hill. And he was talking about how that this fire support base was overrun by the Vietnamese. And I was a chaplain's assistant. We went out and this chaplain was, he was a Protestant chaplain, but he was about the equivalent of a Catholic administering last rites to these guys right before they died. So we flew in and there was an area that was smaller than this auditorium and we took 170 mortar hits in the two or three hours that we were there inside of that perimeter. And we were under heavy fire and you could see the muzzle fire from the weapons and this guy in this book was writing about it and talking about the smells. You could smell the Vietnamese coming because they ate this strong fish. You could smell them. He was talking about the smells, the smell of the gunpowder. He was talking about the fear. And here I was reading this book 20 years after being in Vietnam and fear came over me because I saw it through the eyes of an unbeliever. And fear came over me and I had to stay up the rest of the night rebuking this fear and binding it and getting myself back into uh, the proper frame of mind. And I remember what I was going through when I was there. I'd been praying that God would kill me and just take me home. I wanted to go be with him so much that I was excited about it. And when I saw all these weapons coming in and all of this stuff and the Vietnamese were overrunning that position, and they, uh, I went out with the chaplain just an hour or two before they did overrun that place and they killed most of the guys that were there. And... Uh, as I was seeing all of this, I remember what I was thinking. I had my M16 pointed down the hill and they were too far away for me to shoot at them. So I didn't shoot, but I was ready and I would have defended myself. But I can tell you what I was thinking. I was sitting there thinking, oh Jesus, today could be my day to meet you. Man, today could be... I was, I was having such a rush of love. I was so excited. And I was praying and interceding for these Vietnamese. I said, I know you, but these guys don't know you. Oh, God, have mercy. And I was interceding for them and for the American troops. And I was just feeling the love and the compassion of God. I never even told Jamie about this until I read that book because it was just a, non, it was a non-event. It was no big deal. I can tell you that you can get so enveloped in the love of God that people threatening to kill you doesn't make any difference. Other things, it just doesn't matter. It's not important. That's what Paul is saying. We say we believe this book. 
But here's Paul saying that, man, I count all of this other stuff. It's like done. Nothing is important except knowing God. I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. This one thing I do. You know the reason that Paul was so powerful is because he was single-minded on knowing God. He wanted to know God. He gave up everything else. Paul had one of the greatest careers in the Jewish religion of anybody in his day, and he gave up everything to pursue Jesus. Man, he was a person that when he walked into Jerusalem, everybody knew who Paul was, but he gave that up and he became a missionary and went into places where they persecuted him and put him in prison and spit on him and did all of these things and defamed him. And he did all of this just because he loved God. And this man, here he is, here we are 2,000 years later talking about the Apostle Paul. You and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul and how God used him. And it was because he, he gives us his heart right here. He just wanted to know him and the power of his resurrection. He had this one thing in mind. That's all, that's all his goal was. You know, if your goal was to know God, well then, man, it's easy to succeed. They can't, nothing can stop you. Cancer can't stop you from knowing God. Poverty can't stop you from knowing God. A recession can't stop you from knowing God. What other people say about you can't stop you from knowing God. If that was your focus, if this is what Christianity was all about, is about having a relationship with God, you could obtain that and you could find joy and peace and satisfaction in the midst of whatever the world goes through. And brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in love, but Americans are spoiled rotten. We haven't experienced the hardships that most of the rest of the world does. Jamie and I were just in, in uh, Luxembourg and saw the Battle of the Bulge and, and how many uh, graves, I forgot, 5,600 in one place and then 10,000 in another. And I mean, people gave their lives and people have suffered. And most Christians today couldn't stand that kind of pressure because we just don't have what it takes on the inside. Our relationship with God is so deficient. Not from God's standpoint, from ours. You know, at my mother's funeral, I just saw this man, Jimmy Williamson, who was my sixth grade teacher. And I never will forget that this man, had, he taught us a lesson and he put one of these one-gallon gas cans on a Brunson burner. And he heated it, got it really hot. And then he put the lid on it and set it on the um, desk right in front of me. I was sitting on the front row. I saw he, I couldn't talk. He had me sitting right on the front row in front of him. And anyway, I was sitting right there eyeball to eyeball with this gas can. And of course, when you heat it, the air expands. And when he put the lid on, as it cooled on the inside, the air contracted and it formed a vacuum and nobody touched that gas can. But I watched it and it just started popping and cracking and it fell, it bent in two and fell on the ground and it was just like it was crushed. Like somebody took a hammer or a sledgehammer to it and and crushed the thing, and nobody ever touched it. It was just the normal atmospheric pressure that you and I are in right now that crushed that can because it had a vacuum inside. And you know, that is exactly the reason that so many of us are crushed under all of the pressures of this life. 
There aren't different pressures. People love to make uh, everything sound like, oh, we've got more pressures today than people have ever had, and it's so much harder, and this modern society is so bad. That's not true. The Scripture says there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. This is common. The moment you think that you've got a unique situation, nobody's ever been through what you've been through, you have been deceived. You are contrary to the Word of God. I can tell you people who've had it rough, like I got friends over in the UK who when they were little kids, the bombing was happening during World War II and they took all of the young people away from their parents and put them in fields out in the countryside and lived in tents for two and three years uh, when they were four, five, six, seven years old, ten years old, and they lived there with just one adult per hundred kids or something like that. Now that's tough. But not having designer jeans, not having the, the shoes that light up when you walk and everybody else has them and you don't have any, that's not tough. Unless there's a vacuum on the inside. We don't have more pressures today than anybody else has had. I guarantee you that generation that went through World War II where they were fighting, I mean, we nearly all wound up speaking German. That was pressure. Jamie's uncle was in Iwo Jima and he was in the first wave and they told him the first five waves, not a single person would live. They were all going to die, but they were using them for, to draw machine gun fire and ammunition. And when they ran out and had to go resupply, they said it would be the sixth wave before the first person lived. And those first 5,000 people in those first five waves knew they were going to die. And yet they went ahead and sacrificed their life because that's what they had to do to take Iwo Jima and get a foothold so they could attack Japan. You know what? That's pressure. But sitting here and saying, well, my credit card's maxed out. What do I do? That's not pressure. That's self-induced pressure. It's only because we have a vacuum within. It's because we don't have any values and we don't have this relationship with God is the reason that we're being crushed under all of these things. You know, I had a woman come to me. I was in Charlotte. I go to Charlotte every year. And I had a woman come to me. And I, I spoke at this business. And uh, we had, I went back and there's 30 employees and about 10 of them or so got born again. And we just had a great time ministering to these people. But this one woman came back and she says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business. And she says, but I know that prayer works. And she says, I'm on my fourth marriage and I've been divorced three times and he's threatening to divorce me. And because of this, she tried to commit suicide the day before. She had slit her wrist and had been put in hospital. And this was her first day back at work. And she was just crying crocodile tears. And she says, it's going to be my fourth divorce. I just can't live if I get divorced. Would you please pray for me that I wouldn't get this divorce? And I just stopped this woman and I said, now let me make sure I understood this right. I said, you aren't born again and you know that you aren't born again. And she says, that's right. And I said, if you were to die right now, you'd go straight to hell. And she said, yes. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation? And she said, yes. And I said... Lady, do you realize that after you've been in hell for a thousand years, burning in the fire and in torment, you aren't going to give a rip whether this marriage worked or not? I said, who cares about your marriage? 
Now, am I saying that God doesn't care about marriage? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in relation, in comparison, it ought to be like done compared to knowing God. And it's, this woman was just crying these big old tears. And when I said that, it's just like I slapped her. She just stopped and she says, you know, you're right. She says, I ought to be saved. And I said, you should. And I said, well, let's pray. And we got her born again. And then we prayed for her marriage. But see, there's some people that say, oh, I, I agree that Jesus ought to be first in our life. And you, you would sit there and agree with this as long as it was in minor things. But if you're going through a divorce, you can't be happy going through a divorce. Why not? I'm not saying you ought to be happy because of the divorce, but that your relationship with God would be able to sustain you through the divorce so that you could still have joy and peace because He's the same. He's never going to divorce you. You ought to be rejoicing in the fact that, God, you're never going to divorce me. I probably deserve this divorce. There's probably something I did wrong or I could have done better. And, Father, even though I don't do everything right, thank you that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You could be rejoicing over that. If nothing else, you could take the scripture where it says in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. And you could say, thank you, Jesus. It's only temporary. Thank you that I'm not going to have to deal with marriage problems throughout all eternity. If you're having marriage problems, that's not an excuse for you to be depressed and defeated. If the doctor tells you you're going to die, that's not a reason for you to be depressed and defeated. If you've lost somebody close to you, that's not a reason for you to lose your joy. And I know some of you are thinking, you're sitting there condemning me. I'm not condemning you. I'm saying these things to help you. I'm just saying that in comparison to knowing Jesus, nothing else in life matters. It's everything. And this is what salvation is all about. God didn't want to save you just so he could get another servant, somebody to go do something for him. God loves you. He saved you because he loves you. The Lord wants to hang out with you. The Lord wants to know you and let you know Him. The Lord just enjoys being with you. I know that this is a new wrinkle in some of y'all's brains. Again, religion has made it so that I've got to do a work for God, do a work for God. Most of us are human doings instead of human beings. We feel like we've got to do something. But you know what? God just loves you. He enjoys spending time with you. God's a good God. I've been in services before where I've been so overwhelmed. I remember one time Jamie and I were at Catherine Kuhlman's meeting and we had seen a woman that I took off of a stretcher that only weighed about 70 pounds. And she could not stand. I could put my hand around her thigh. And I took her out of that thing and had to put her in a seat for fire code things. And I felt her and I knew that, man, this woman, she couldn't even sit up. We had to prop her up with pillows. And then we saw her jumping up and down on the stage and pushing her stretcher back and forth and totally healed. And we saw miracles happen. And man, Jamie and I just stood there. We were the last people to leave. It was like we were in the presence of the Lord. I was just so blessed. I was so blessed. To be there. I've, I've been in multiple services like that where I've been overwhelmed. And I was ministering one time on the love of God. And I saw people just get set free. I saw people change right in front of my eyes. I saw the same thing happening to them through me 
that I had had happen to me before. And I remember going back to the hotel. I was driving the car and just think, I was praising God. I was thinking, God, this is awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was just thanking Him and praising Him. And you know, in the middle of it, God stopped and said, well, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for representing me and telling those people that I'm a good God and that I'm not imputing their sins unto them. And you know, there's some of you who would say, oh no, that wasn't God. God would never thank you. That's because you don't know God. God's a good God. God will say thank you. And I guarantee you, I don't care what your chemicals in your body are like, if you were enjoying God and having Him say thank you, you wouldn't be depressed. We're looking to a pill to overcome all of our problems when what you need is the gospel. You need to hear that God loves you. And if you were just fellowshipping with God, your depression would be gone, your worry would be gone, your bitterness, your anger would be gone. A person who is bitter and angry, I'm not saying there hasn't been things happened to you, but I'm saying you've got a vacuum inside that has caused these normal pressures to destroy you. There's other people that have been through pressures infinitely worse than what you've gone through, and they have come through shouting and screaming on the other side. I was ministering along these lines one time, and my good friend Bob Nichols was sitting on the front row. And Bob Nichols is a pastor of a church in Fort Worth, Texas. And he's a great man. But I tell you what, he's had his share of problems. Anybody who's a pastor has people that are against you and criticize you and you've had financial problems. And Bob's been through a lot of things. And about, I forget what it is, 12, 15 years ago, his daughter had a car wreck and bumped her head and she started having problems and a seizure and eventually went into a coma. And um, I was, Jamie and I went and visited her in the hospital when the doctor walked in and told him, says, Pastor Bob, your daughter is dead. She's brain dead. Pull the plug. And he was just real nice to him and he didn't sit there and rebuke him or do something. He just says, you know, I know you're doing the best you can, but that's not the report that we believe. My daughter's going to be fine. And he just spoke faith and kept walking in faith. And I mean, Janet... She was the worst looking human being I've ever seen who was still alive. She didn't, she didn't look like she was alive. But Pastor Bob just had faith. And anyway, he had them just keep going. And anyway, that's now been 10 or 12 years. She's still alive. She's off of all of the machines. She's at home. She's able to walk a little bit. She can say a few words. But for 12, she had brain damage. And for 12 years... They've been fighting this battle and it's not complete. She's improved. She's improving steadily. But she's had to have 24-hour care for 12 years. And Pastor Bob has had people living in his home, nurses living in his home for 12 years. They haven't had any time apart. And I was talking along these lines about just knowing God and that it overcomes everything else. And knowing God is greater than anything else. And we ought to be thankful for what we've got. And Pastor Bob was sitting on the front row and he just threw his Bible on the floor and stood up and he said, I've had all of this. I can take. He says, thank you, Jesus. And he just started praising God for how good things were. And he fell on his face and went to praising God. A man that's had more problems than most of us have ever thought about, the thing that sustains him is he has such a relationship with God. He couldn't hear somebody talk about it without him just starting to praise God. 
I tell you what, when you get to that level where you have a relationship and you know God and God is more real to you than your degrees hanging on the wall, than your house that you live in, than all of these external things that are necessary but unimportant, you know what? You'll get to a place where, man, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. When my son died, I can tell you that the very first thing that happened, it's, this is just like I, this is my safe place. I don't know how to describe that. You know, when I was a kid, we used to play these games where you'd try and be tagged by the other kids, but there was always a home base, a safe place that when you were there, nobody could touch you. Boy, the love of Jesus is my safe place. Whenever something happens, man, I just forget everything else and I go to thinking about, God, you love me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for touching my life. Thank you, Jesus, for touching me. There's no reason that God should touch me. I was just in Arlington, Texas. And I drove around to our home and to the field where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and where God called me to preach and where I went to all of these places and they're just as plain. There's nothing fancy about anything. There's no, there's no reason God called me. I, it wasn't because he looked at me and thought, oh man, what a jewel. <laughs> the scripture says that God chose the weak things of the world and base things of the world and things that are despised. That's the reason he chose me because, man, I knew that when God called me, it had to be him. There's no reason for God to choose me. And when I saw, I just became so thankful. And it's like that home base. Every time anything negative happens in my life, man, I run back to, oh, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for touching me. Father, thank you. And if nothing else ever happened, you know what? If I never saw healing work in my body, if I didn't see miracles happen, if, if the ministry shut down, I still ought to be able to praise God because, man, He saved me and I'm going to go to be with Him. I'm going to live forever in a mansion. I'm going to be blessed, blessed, blessed. I got nothing to gripe about. None of us have anything to gripe about. And I know some of you have spent your life defending your right to be bitter. And you were abused when you were a child and this happened and because of that, here you are 30 years later still nurturing and harboring this bitterness and hurt. It was 30 years ago. Get over it. What's happened to you is nothing compared to what God has done for you. You know, I've often gone, we just went to Anne Frank's house. We've been to Corey Ten Boom's house. I've been to Auschwitz. I've seen where people were burnt. I've stood there we're in the place where all of these millions of Jews were burnt. I've seen the gas chambers. I've stood in the gas chambers where these people were gassed and killed. I've seen terrible suffering. And, and studied all of that. And you wonder about God. How, how, could, how could this injustice ever be rectified? These people suffered so much. How could this ever be overcome? And yet the scripture says that I reckon that the sufferings of this present world aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I guarantee you, one minute in heaven is going to wash all of this junk away. The things that we're suffering here are so insignificant to what God has prepared for us in heaven. It is awesome. If we would think about that, we don't have any rights to be griping and complaining. 
Paul said this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Some people think, well, that's the problem. Paul just had a light affliction. My affliction is big. <laughs> you can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read about his light affliction. Being stoned and left for dead, being beaten with rods, being beaten with whips, being put in prison, being shipwrecked, being in the deep a night and a day, being defamed and all of the care of the churches. Paul had more problems than anybody in here and yet he says it's just a light affliction. If he could call his affliction light when he had more problems than you do, how can you get by with talking about how heavy your burden is? It's because of the vacuum that's on the inside is what's causing you to be crushed. If you were to be filled with the love of God the way that is available to all of us, then you'd find out it'd be just a light affliction. And he gave two reasons. He says, it's just for a moment. I've had people come up and say, I've been praying for my mate for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, nothing has changed. It's just a moment. Seventy years down here is like that. You're going to live for eternity. You could, get, you could just say, Father, thank you that regardless how bad things get in this marriage or whatever, I am going to live with you forever and you can enjoy His presence in this life. If you're poor, I believe God wants you to prosper, but if you never prospered, you're going to live in a mansion on streets of pure gold for all eternity. I believe God wants you to be healed, but if you never get healed here, you're going to be totally healed in heaven, and you could think about that, and you could go to praising God for that. If you're thinking properly, if you're in relationship with God and allowing the Holy Spirit, He'll comfort you in all of your tribulation, is what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In all of your tribulations, there's nothing that you can't overcome. Scripture says there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There is nothing happening to you that the grace of God, that the love of God, the comfort of God isn't greater than. And if you feel overwhelmed, if like you're about to give up, I'm saying this in love. I know some of you may take it as criticism and I'm uncaring and unfeeling, but I'm telling you the truth. The truth will set you free. The truth is that if you would press in and just go to enjoying the love of God and just worship Him for who He is and what He's done and the good things that are in your life, if you would do that, you'd find out that He would fill you, that this would more than compensate for the pressures that are in this world and you'd be able to overcome. It's all about knowing God. And God wants to know you more than you want to know Him. The Lord wants this relationship with you. That's the good news. Some of you think, oh, God doesn't want to hang out with me. Yes, He does. He loved you so much He died for you. If He loved you enough to die for you and suffer... Don't you think He loves you enough that He just want to be with you and that He wants to be your friend and that He wants to know you and that He wants to say something encouraging to you and positive to you? And yet again, religion, see, has made us thought, oh no, I'm just so unworthy and we come in and all we are is a servant. Which, yes, we are a servant, but we're a son. And He says, I call you my friend. The Lord wants to know you much more than just as a slave or a servant. He wants to know you. He wants to have intimate relationship with you. This is what He redeemed you for. 
And brothers and sisters, I think the majority of Christians are missing this. We just aren't taking advantage of it. And so because of it, we're obsessed with things that are relatively insignificant. We're bothered. We don't have faith because we don't have relationship. Everything comes out of relationship. And if you know God, you just don't have trouble believing Him. You know, a little kid, a one-year-old baby, you don't ever see them going around saying, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that my dad's going to feed me. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I'm going to get a bicycle when I'm three. I'm going to get this. I confess and that He's going to provide for me and that I'm going to get a bed to sleep in and that I'm going to have clothes to wear. They don't do any of that stuff. They just have relationship. They just sit there and don't even think about it. You know why? And they just, they, these things come to them because they trust the Father. They have a relationship with Him. But man, I see Christians all the time that are just confessing and binding and loosening and trying to make God do this and it's because they don't know Him. Really, God's done everything. You don't, you don't have to spend any time trying to get God to do anything. He's already done it all. That's what that book about you've already got it is all about. He's already done everything. He's put all of this power on the inside of you. And as you come to know Him and as you get your mind renewed, faith rises and you just take your authority and speak what God says and it comes to pass. The Christian life isn't, isn't difficult. If you're in a relationship with God, if you're in the flesh, it's impossible. But you know, if you're in a relationship with God, it just flows. The Bible says it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. It's fruit. You don't have to pray for it and beg for it and, and get somebody to agree with you and call the prayer chain. It's fruit. Have you ever seen an apple tree just groan and travail and scream and let out a big old cry? Ah, and here's an apple. An apple tree just produces apple. It's the nature of an apple tree to produce an apple. It's the nature of a Christian for you to be a world overcomer. It's the nature for you to be healed and healthy and joyful if you are rooted in the vine, if you're planted, if that life is flowing through you, it's your nature to produce fruit. It's your nature to be healed. But I guarantee you, if you are separated from the vine, if you cut the branch off, it's really difficult to have fruit. And that's where most Christians are. We aren't plugged into the vine. We aren't abiding in the vine. And therefore, we aren't bearing fruit because we aren't having the relationship. We just need relationship with God. And God wants it with you. The Lord loves you. I wish I had better words to be able to communicate all of this. But God loves you and He wants to know you. And the good thing is, as you hang out with the Lord, you become like Him. You become like who you hang out with. And if you were to hang out with the Lord and just get to know Him and get to where you enjoy Him, you'd wind up starting, you'd quit being bitter and angry and mean as a snake and depressed and sick and poor. And you'd start having love and joy and peace and it'd just happen to you and you wouldn't even know that it was happening. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's not about what God can produce. Knowing God is the thing. 
It's like who wants the golden egg when you have the goose that produces the golden egg? Man, I'm not worried about healing. I know God. And God is for me. And so therefore, I'll get all of the healing that I need. I'm not worried about prosperity because I've got God. And God will take care of my need. I'm not worried about what people have to say about me because God loves me. God knows me better than you do. And He loves me. God's more important than you are. And He loves me. So why am I going to be bothered if you don't love me? It's no big deal. Man, isn't that good? God loves us, brothers and sisters. He wants you. So I know some of you are thinking, all right, I'm convinced. What do I do? I can't give you a formula. It's, you just know Him. He wants to know you. If you want to know Him, if you will seek, you'll find. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13. You shall seek and you shall find me when you shall seek with all of your heart. When you get to where you can't live without knowing God, you will. As long as you can live without knowing God, as long as you can continue along the path that you're on, get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, get up and go to work, come home, just be on the treadmill doing nothing. And as long as that's sufficient for you, you won't know God. But you, when you get to a place that, God, I want to know you more than anything, you'll know Him. He'll reveal Himself to you. You know, I had that experience, and that kind of jump-started my life. But I could, I could tell you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that, man, I've just been in the presence of God, seeking, crying out, God, I want to know you more. I remember one time I spent like 12 hours at night walking in Louisiana. Got lost, walking among the bayous, ran across from alligators, but I was out there doing business. God, I want to know you. And if I got eaten by an alligator, no big deal. And I just was focused on knowing God. I remember a time in Vietnam that I was just praying. I prayed all night long. When I woke up in the morning, I had hundreds of... um, um, what do you call it? Croc- cockroaches on me. Cockroaches that big without their feet. They had eaten. Just They were biting me. I was red all over. And, but I didn't know it. I was focused on God. Man, I, God, I wanted to know you. And I was oblivious to what was going on. You know what? When you get to where you're focused on God, you'll find Him. He's not hiding. But if you've got this attitude of, God, my favorite show's on in five minutes. <laughs> And if you can reveal yourself to me and change my life and touch my life and give me all the joy and the peace in five minutes, fine. And then I've got something I've got to go do. You know what? He's not going to show up. Of course, he's always there, but he's not going to reveal himself to you like that. That's not the way that the Lord is. The Lord, he's jealous. He wants you. And if you want him, I guarantee you, you'll connect. I can't give you a formula, but I can give you a promise. That if you seek, you find. If you knock, it'll be opened unto you. It's going to work if you just get to where you really desire it. Amen? And I I recommend it highly. And some of you think, well, how long does it take? Rest of your life. This isn't something you do for an hour. 
And then you go back. You, you need a lifestyle change. Whatever it is that you've been occupying yourself with and has been the thing that has been more important, you're going to have to make a relative deal that everything else is like done compared to knowing God. And you're going to have to put the priority on it. And you're going to have to seek for it as treasure and gold. And when you seek, you'll find. It'll happen. And it'll take time. And you'll grow in it. But it's well worth the effort. Somebody says, but I need something right now. What, what, what if it takes me a year? Well, if it takes a year, you can't get there any quicker than starting tonight. And I tell you what, you'll enjoy the journey. There's still a lot of things that I don't understand and that I know that I need to know the Lord better. I do not understand some things the way that they happen. Things should be working differently. I see a lot of good things, but I don't have it all figured out. But you know what? I am so blessed where I am that I'm not discontent. I'm not unhappy. I haven't arrived, but I've left, and I'm enjoying the journey. And praise God, you will enjoy the journey if you will just make knowing God a priority.